0: Being a bottled-in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing, whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
1: Adversity builds character. We call it the ABCs of adversity. And uh, as you said, I think for most people... When we're dealing with difficult situations we either come out of it using it as a crutch or as an excuse for why we don't reach our potential or we really use it as a harness to pull us forward
0: welcome to the ziggler show where we inspire your true performance i'm your host kevin miller in this show we're talking about you and me and charging you with remembering who you are if you don't know figuring that out first So my guest is Lisa Grimes. She has a new book out that she co-authored with Paula Brown Stafford. It's called Remember Who You Are, Achieve Success, Create Balance, Experience, Fulfillment. So, Lisa and Paula co authored the book, and they jointly run a consulting firm called Habergeon, H A B E R G E O N, which you can find at Habergeon.com. But Lisa's focus is living life meaningfully and on purpose and being connected to other people. She spent 33 years in corporate America with roles in management, sales, business development, multiple stints as a CEO of large companies. She's also been an entrepreneur. She spent a decade as a decorator. So she had more flexibility in her personal life. Uh, she adopted a child who is, who was deaf and mute. And that was after being told that she couldn't have children through the initial adoption process. She then did get pregnant. Uh, so she's got two kiddos. We cover a lot of ground in our talk and we give direct and candid focus to some of the challenges that women in the workplace face Uh, So if that's you out there, if you're thinking about, uh, be coming into the workplace as a woman, as a mom, you're going to want to hear this. And uh, guys out there, those of you, especially who are married, this is something that I think you need to hear. I know I did. So we dig into some of the big and volatile issues between men and women in the workplace and just the cultural expectations of moms. So tons of value for all in this show, but yeah, you ladies, especially will want to hear this. And I do, again, think the guys, uh, share, share with your wives or the women you care about, share this show and the message. I think many women will get significant comfort and freedom from what Lisa shares. And I do make some call outs to us dads to step up our game. You can connect with Lisa again at habergeon.com, H-A-B-E-R-G-E-O-N. But you can buy the book, uh, Remember Who You Are, there at that website or, of course, wherever you buy books. It's doing incredibly well on Amazon right now, so you can find it there. So I'm going to get started with Lisa right after sharing some great resources with you. Okay, friends here, then I bring you an incredibly valuable, insightful conversation with Lisa Grimes. Well, Lisa, as I often do with guests in our little intro information that we filled out, ask them if they have any experience with Zig Ziglar, which most do yours pertains so much to the message we're talking about today. I just want to read it real quick. Can I do that? Sure. All right. You said, I still have a copy on my shelf with plenty of highlights of see you at the top that I still reference. I just looked, my copy was printed in 1981. I'd say one of my favorite quotes was your success and your happiness start with you. And I have to mention the overall premise of Ziggs about our being designed for accomplishment, engineered for success and endowed with seeds of greatness, all powerful, true and influential in my life. When I got into your book, Remember Who You Are, and even more so just your personal bio, I thought that you are, you are, you are living, you are walking out the Ziegler legacy right now in all that you're doing and obviously have been for a long time. Uh, That's beautiful. And he is waving at us from heaven right now with a big nod.
1: Well, thank you, and I take that as a huge compliment that, um, that you would say that you think I'm walking out what he said, because that was clearly a goal. I started my kind of formal career out of college in 1985, and I have kept my hands on that book, as I mentioned to you, since then. It was one of the very first business books I ever read, and just the whole premises resonated that a lot of it is who we see ourselves to be and not comparing ourselves to others but using the strengths that we have been given to you. So I thank you.
0: Well, and your statement there of your success and your happiness starts with you. Now this book, remember who you are, achieve success, create balance, experience fulfillment. You know, I, I read it. I'm a guy. It is, I'll put it right there at the top of the list with any great personal development, self-help book I've ever read. It's, it's so much pertains to me. However, you are a woman, you speak to women. We have a lot in the audience. And I really want to hear from that perspective today. And so when I ask you know, who the message is for picture, who's the perfect person in the audience, who is the woman and where are they at? Cause there's a lot of women who you're not speaking to. You're speaking to this. You want to resonate and elevate this person. Explain who that is a little bit.
1: Well, the ideal audience that Paula Brown Stafford, my co-author, and I wrote for when we started was really going to be kind of 25 to 40-year-old professional women mm. because we wanted to, to give back. We do a lot of coaching of younger women in particular and wanted to reach that audience. Mm-hmm. We then, as we continued to write, found that our book was resonating with women throughout their careers. And so I would really say career women, people that are, you know, women that are professionally out in the workforce dealing with all the the daily challenges of being a woman and maybe a wife and a mom and maybe mm-hmm. getting more education and doing lots of other things and as as you saw it's for men and for women but that would probably be the sweet spot professional women who are looking for success balance To find a sense of fulfillment or purpose in what they're doing.
0: Well, and I appreciate how you guys wrote the book. It is so personal. You guys are so authentic and vulnerable in the book. And even as my wife, she you know stayed at home after having baby one, and then we we had a lot and homeschooled and was out of the career force. She's now entered it again and doing great. But now she's looking at backing out of some of that. But just with the myriad of things that she deals with amongst our family, our businesses, our kids and, uh, her own endeavors and her own callings and service work and all these, I, what you wrote, I, I want her to read it. Uh, I don't know if she'll even say my career woman, but she, when you say a professional, she is a pro and you, you're speaking right to her.
1: Oh yeah. And professionals are also stay at home moms because that is the hardest job I ever did. I will tell you, Kevin, I took about a 10 year hiatus. Um, yeah when we uh, adopted a child who had a lot of of issues, including being deaf and mute, and I um, really needed to curtail my international travels to be at home and deal with that. And I've had several friends who have read it who are stay-at-home moms or who might work part-time. But, you know, I think it's the combined 65 years of being in careers, being wives, being mothers for a combined over a century, that all of that is really brought together in the book. So you're right, I think just for women in general.
0: Well, I like to get into the personal story. Our tagline is inspiring true performance, and just as Zig started most of his talk, telling people where he came from, so they could understand that. Looking at context, what was it about your upbringing that helped or hurt where you are today? Now, with you, my gosh, you know, an exaggerated standpoint with somebody who had a hard life and came out—we would say—is you know maybe they had a violent, violent father, alcoholic who told them they never amount to anything. And I read your bio that's exactly what you had. This is not an an exaggeration. I mean, that is profound. Tell us a little bit about that as how did that relate to, how did you overcome that to then go forward and succeed and achieve as you have? Because as we know, a lot of times that's what takes somebody out. And yet that's the adversity as you talk about that helped make you, is that fair to say?
1: It is fair to say Chapter 8 in the book is Adversity Builds Character. We call it the ABCs of adversity. And uh, as you said, I think for most people, when we're dealing with difficult situations, we either come out of it using it as a crutch or as an excuse for why we don't reach our potential, or we really use it as a harness to pull us forward. And, you know, it was certainly my fate would be the very first thing that I would say that allowed me to come through a difficult childhood. I think oftentimes dysfunctional family can be over overused, but I did grow up in a home with an abusive father. Hmm. I was told I'd never amount to much. I got punished all the time because I talked too much. Well, who would have thought that sales would have been what propelled my career later on? Um, But I think it was learning to deal with those adversities that prepared me um, for some of life's later adversities. And you know, probably one of the best examples I can give you, I went to college, went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, And got a degree in pharmacy and liking to be in sales and talking. I thought, well, gee, what a great background to be a pharmaceutical sales rep. And got my applications out and sometimes would make it even to the second or third interview. But I got 23 rejections from 23 different pharmaceutical companies saying you just don't have what it takes. And, you know, I went back for the 24th. I landed that job. And I outperform my sales goals. And I don't say that in a bragging sense, but I just say it to say I think that part of my upbringing, when I look at it from a positive perspective, which I think would be a ZIG perspective, is how could it and would it propel me? And I think that it was building that tenacity, building that determination that I'm not going to accept no.
0: Well, on that accepting, no, was there a time period? So here you are as a young girl with a father like that, who told you such things was when you look back, do you feel like your spirit, you didn't accept that then you rejected that then, or was there a later spot in time that you came to grips with it and decided to reject that?
1: It was it was a later spot in time. I would say I really did go through a lot of a lot of soul searching, a lot of self-doubt, and mm-hmm. you know, um we talked about being vulnerable and being authentic. I think I would say it was even going through all those rejections, I felt such a need to prove myself mm-hmm. that it almost went overboard. Okay. And so it was really Along, I think that's why, you know, when I mentioned to you, like not comparing yourself, one of other, the, the quotes and stories and writings of Zig of, you know, I don't need to compare myself and prove myself against anyone else. I just need to be the best me that I can be. And so I think it was a journey. It wasn't something that that was instant. There was a lot of self-doubt. There was a lot of reading or a lot of talking through great support. I married my high school sweetheart and he supported me, um, you know, through a lot of, of self-doubt.
0: When you talked about proving yourself, I think we see lots of stories where people do overcome in an effort to do that. And yet it's not always healthy. So I'm curious on your journey, was there a time period of, success or achievement, I'll say, in an effort to prove yourself that you had to divest yourself of somewhat from the attitude of proving yourself to achievement in a healthier way? Does that make sense?
1: Yes, yes, it does. And I would say it was really probably when a mentor said, mm. don't leave dead bodies in your rear view mirror. Well, that's and a big
0: statement. Okay.
1: It was like, whoa. And he said, I appreciate that you don't try to manipulate people. You're not trying to put people down. You're not trying to harm other people, but you are so determined to succeed. You're not looking out for everyone around you. And that was kind of the wake up call of, "Ooh, I'm a little focused on proving myself and then doing the digging of why might that be. And, you know, because you do need to look to the root of the issue, in yeah. my opinion, anyway, I need to find the root cause for why I behave the way I behave before I can really work on changing it. So that was really a moment when it became very clear to me that if I focused so much effort on helping others achieve, then I didn't need to worry about proving anything.
0: And that was was my next question. So if you take that effort to prove yourself to overcome, and that's a drive, and then you come to uh, a different perspective like that, what I was going to ask what took it over, but I think you just answered it. So that drive then became literally to help people. And I want to ask on that. And so you have this again, you know, amazing career uh, as an entrepreneur in the corporate world, as a CEO on the board of, uh, of nonprofits and other organizations. And you're doing that and you're having great success. You're influencing people through that. When did it happen? Was there a catalyst where you said, I want to take what I have experienced and expand that. And through this, like, as you're doing through this book, you don't have to do that. You don't need it for your, uh, I'm going to make a big guess here for your income. You don't need it for your uh, achievement. You want to get that out. Was there a time period there where you just felt called to do that?
1: Yeah, there was a time, and I would say it was probably over the course of the last five to 10 years that the call and the purpose really cemented following up on that conversation when it really made me realize well, you know, if I took all this drive and energy and ambition that I have and use it to help other people succeed there was so much greater satisfaction when I did that and helped others hmm. achieve success and helped other people go out and start their own companies and help other people do those sorts of things that it just became so much more fun to not be about me and not trying to prove anything. So I think it was a growing, it was a growing process. I think as my relationship with God continued to grow, I think as I continued to to listen and really think on that statement of making sure I wasn't leaving dead bodies in the rearview mirror, that it really just, you know, yeah. made um me decide more. My energy should be focused on giving back. And I would say that probably really started in earnest about a decade ago.
0: Well, on that statement, that makes me smile. It's just a, just such a big statement of leaving dead bodies behind you. I know you talk in the book about your, let's say it's a, I mean, a strength of your intensity. And yet in the book, you also talked about that maybe going overboard in that as well.
1: Yes, it is something. Well, Paula and I both talked about it because um, I have been accused of being intimidating when I did not really realize it. she's been accused of being defensive. And it was Mm. like, wow, okay, let's take those words and figure out what we're going to, to do with them and be conscious. I certainly can say I'd don't think I ever intended to intimidate anybody unless it was a competitor in a sales position. And of course I needed to intimidate them, but I, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in all seriousness was not really, that, that wasn't on my list of things to aspire to was intimidation.
0: And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Well, so I'm going to ask a, a, a specific question and it really comes from my own experience with my wife. I have a, uh, she's a brilliant person. She is a, a very assertive person, maybe even into, uh, aggressiveness and she, and I have a daughter who's very similar as well. And they've shared their own frustrations, which I'm assuming you've experienced in droves of having labels like that intimidating defensive given to a woman that may or may not have been given to a man, probably lesser. And yeah, I can see it on your face. Tell me about it.
1: Oh yeah. Great, great question. Probably could take up an entire another show on this topic. Um, We call it kind of the double bind because men are in the business world, certainly. And I think in general, men, it's acceptable for men to be assertive and aggressive and they don't necessarily get those labels. Yet when women try to have a softer approach and we can tend to apologize and say like, Oh, I'm really sorry. It's a little hot outside today. Well, we don't control the weather, but it's a way of kind of bonding that we often use or I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to ask you a question. And then we're advised perhaps by a coach to use masculine language or muscular language. Well, then we kind of get called a word that I don't choose to use because we get a label and it really is trying to find that happy medium. And it's where we spend a lot of time of coaching and advising women in that regard of just things that we have learned because it's a difficult situation for those of us women that are assertive, that tend to speak up, that perhaps are more direct and we don't fit the mold perhaps of what of what's expected. But I think mm-hmm. my encouragement is it can be done and is being done by more and more women. It's just a matter of finding what's comfortable to you. And I think our advice to women that that feel, man, what do I do is to go back to being you and to be authentic to how you are made and don't apologize, but do get feedback and do be very, very self aware. If people are thinking, well, she's so assertive, she's intimidating other people. Well, then you might have to adjust and it doesn't mean changing who you are. It just means maybe toning it down a little in certain situations. So I don't know if that answers your question. It's a loaded, loaded topic. And I think it is just high in the minds of a lot of women, um, today. So I appreciate
0: you asking. Well, no, I, I agree. And if I can dare risk, put myself in a, in a woman's shoe, who's listening to this show right now, uh, they may wish that you would do the rest of the show on that topic. Hey, honestly. Yeah. I, I mean, that's with it being, uh, a volatile topic, we have a dramatic amount of our listeners are our, our women, our business owners are entrepreneurs or want to be, and yet they are uh, their moms as well. And they are doing, they're juggling. I I believe they're juggling more than men, uh, in all reality. When I look at my wife, she is, I mean, I'm juggling a lot over here, but her roles are, and when she steps into the workplace, it hits some, hits some notes that are just difficult. And I hear it from her and I don't have anything brilliant to offer. I, I would say, speak to it more.
1: Well, I think a couple or three things. One, um, You know, we do. We, and I speak for we, I think as women, I know I speak for both Paula and me, we do want equal pay for a job. We do want to have our opinions equally valued. We want lots of those things and we push for that. But we do not see equality is being identical, because we are different from men. And so that's one thing that I think is a little different is, you know, we do think that we can have equal opinions and equal say and equal contributions in a lot of ways. So that's kind of one area. I think secondly, to your point, Kevin, research has shown that women in the workforce still maintain, even when they are the primary breadwinner of their households, they still maintain the responsibilities of the home jobs, which are getting food on the table or Traditionally seen as women jobs, but, you know, getting children to and from school, going shopping to get new clothes, all of those things. And in surveys that have been done that have interviewed male executives, over half of senior male executives have either wives who stay at home or wives who have a part time job. So they have a support system right. that helps them um you know, if they are traveling all the time or helps them if they wind up um, having to stay late at the office, those sorts of things. So I think those are are two topics that you brought up that are both um, real and dear to my heart because it's something I've lived through. I am blessed to have had a very supportive husband, but I still think the roles of wife, mother, CEO of a company, you can go on. I'm a daughter. I talk to my mom almost every day still, or at least every other day. I mean, I talk to my husband's parents. I, you know, those sorts of things. The The list goes on and on. We talk about it. Um, this chapter four in the book is probably the number one requested topic for us is the juggling act because mm-hmm. we have, as women, we have so many balls to keep in the air every single day, that at some point we have to say these are the balls I'm keeping in the air because if I let them drop, I'll barely if ever put them back together. That for us is our faith in our family. Yeah. that's what we call kind of our crystal balls. Our Glass balls are our careers. We put a lot of effort into building our careers and we don't apologize for it. We've got rubber balls where we spend lots of time on things. But you know what? I realized early on in my career, fortunately, I was a career mom and I did not have to bake a homemade from scratch birthday cake and I didn't have to, you know, do all of those things. My kids were quite content with me stopping by and getting a sheet cake, kind of rubber balls, things that aren't going to matter. But I think as women, we often juggle some balls we need to just simply drop, like feeling guilty because we missed the recital because we were at work on a business trip. And then we carry around the guilt and keep apologizing to our kids to the point our kids feel guilty or, you know, and I can give you plenty other examples, but I'll pause in case you have another question there, but there are just some balls like that, that moms carry around that, we need to let go of and go back to filtering things through our key priorities.
0: Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths, according to the EPA the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted at my studio. We have heat being forced through old ducks. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. but getting them to actually give their payment info is. And Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. No, I'm just sitting here making time stamps to have my wife listen to. Uh, because it's so golden that right there the making the perfect birthday cake and being the PTO mom and God bless those. And my wife feels guilty for that while she is out doing her absolute calling as unto God that I revere, but she's still in a social norm with expectations and struggling with it.
1: It is. And I think that's why it's our number one requested topic, because I think that your wife is not alone in that regard. And I I think often women can tend to focus on perfectionism, which adds to that. We believe that there's a huge difference in seeking excellence versus seeking perfection. Mm. And so, you know, there are just so many things, um, things in In that regard as well. A friend wrote breaking up with perfect, and I thought it was a great example of, you know, we really do need to break up with perfect. We aren't we were never created as perfect. There's only one perfect person ever, and it's not us. And you know, the oh the ball that we juggle of comparison, and I think that goes back Mm -hmm. to one of Zig's quotes about we aren't meant to, you know, be the best somebody else. We don't compare our gifts to what others were given. Well, how often do we try to spend our time focused on being, oh, I don't know. Why couldn't I be that good of a cook? Why couldn't I entertain like that? Why couldn't I? And we spend our energy trying to work on our weakness when instead if we spend a little energy trying to work on a strength, we could excel and help other people in that regard.
0: A- Amen. Amen. And again, I, I, you know, I can speak from my side. We deal with this. We deal with the the guilt that she has for not making dinner. It's really been over the past couple of years where we've had to change the verbiage around that. With me saying, "Honey, you don't like doing dinner." I do. I look forward to coming home and cooking. Let's just let that be. But it's still that cultural thing. And I know, and I appreciate you in the book. And even as we talked before this, that you, and I'll tell everybody out there, there's no men bashing in this at pointedly and, uh, and heartfully there's not on some of what you said. It's hard for me not to though on, on the expectations that we have in our joke in our home. We have a lot of kids and I am their father. I am their parent. I don't babysit the kids. I, I take care of them jointly. So if there's any guys out there who talk about babysitting your kids, don't ever say that again. You're their parent, you're their father. This is a co deal. And, uh, yeah, there there is, it's amazing in this day and age, how much we still see along those traditions, those ruts, I'd say those traditional ruts.
1: I think that ruts is a good word. It's the, it's, expectations and they're often false expectations but when we take expectations of others and put them on ourselves then it leads us to to guilt yeah um i I don't know if your wife has ever read give yourself a break but that is a book i would highly recommend for dealing with guilt it's by debbie wilson and it really focuses on the difference between guilt and false guilt And a lot of people don't talk about it. We do, um, as you saw, talk about it a bit in the book, because we think it's so important, especially for women and not taking on guilt over things that, you know, if we do something wrong, if I hung up on you right now, I should apologize to you and I should feel guilty for that. But if there were to be a lightning storm and we got disconnected, I shouldn't really feel guilty that that happened. And that's just a trivial example compared to many, but I think it... It shows truths for how we can put guilt or accept guilt in our lives. And then we're not our best self because we're walking around under this cloud of guilt. And I think that women can find freedom when they realize that, you know what, it's okay. You and your wife have a relationship in your marriage that you enjoy cooking and she doesn't need to feel badly for it. But I've walked in her shoes, so I get it. I get it. Uh, it's okay I, for my husband to do the laundry. He, it's probably not okay for him to iron because I think he intentionally doesn't iron well just so he <laughs> wouldn't have to do it. But, yeah. you know, um, and the other thing, and we talk about this a bit, is outsourcing. And we both, we met as competitors in an outsourcing industry, so it was natural when we wrote the book to talk about outsourcing, but from a personal perspective, you know, there are just some things that you don't have time to do and outsource or trade with somebody. You know, if you can afford to pay somebody, maybe you're giving them some income, and they can do your dry cleaning, or they can run, pick up groceries, or they can do something like that, but outsource it to give yourself a little more time or trade with a friend who does enjoy cooking. And maybe your wife enjoys being with kids. You've got a bunch of them, so I'm going to assume that she does. So maybe she trades sitting For dinner, you know, those sorts of things. So I think getting creative in the way we juggle our schedules is also important.
0: Yes. She loves our kids. No more than that, though. So nobody call her to watch your kids. She won't do it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right. Well, I want to get into a couple of the aspects of the book, and we're not going to go through all of them because folks go buy the book, get in it, dig into it, study it. Um, it's just significant. I love how you guys wrote it. I love how you co-authored it together and share different perspectives. And again, just how your own spirit and, and personality comes into what you wrote. But to me, it was significant that you started the book off talking about women connecting. And I'll be uh, transparent in that. I, I have a lot of guys who I walk through, walk through life with, um, whom I'm in contact with, who I have coffee with. And I have noticed, and I'm saying this and I'm gonna put myself in a dangerous spot maybe or unspoken, but I, I noticed that I'm seeing that happen at least in my, maybe, maybe I'm in a bubble that happened more than women connecting. And I'm wondering if is that a, is that a cultural thing or am I just happen to see a little bubble, but what is, well, I'll ask you, you put that as a primary beginning in your book, women connecting. Tell me why.
1: Uh- A couple of reasons. We did meet as competitors and we had kind of determined we didn't particularly like each other. So it was kind of interesting, but we didn't like each other, not for any weird reason other than we were always competing for the exact same business because we had identical jobs in the top two competing companies. But what we noticed once we were persuaded to meet as an opportunity to become friends is what we shared in common was the theme that we didn't find that women necessarily supported other women in a way that often had meaningful connections, certainly Mm -hmm. in the workplace. And in that regard, we, you know, 30 some years ago, I mean, both Paula and myself were the only female In the division of our first job, so it was nothing for us to be the only female, and then occasionally you'd have other females, and we found that there tend to tended to be maybe put downs or insults or compliments that were really backhanded insults of other women versus kind of a rising tide lifting all boats. And I think that that um, is changing. We certainly it's one of the reasons that we wanted to kind of hit the road or write the book and hit the road together to talk about women supporting other women in that regard. And I think, you know, in this day and age of social media, that you see the glorious, happy, fun, everything's perfect pictures, and that's not reality. And I think it's hard for some people to be vulnerable and to be authentic. And whether or not it's tough since I am a woman. I I can't answer if you're living in a bubble or not. I can't answer you from a business perspective that as women, we can sometimes take things or disagreements a little more personally. And we call it, I think in the book, we called it professionally pout for a little while Mm -hmm. because we take things a little more personally, whereas guys can have a disagreement and leave to go shoot hoops together. Five minutes after the meeting. So I don't know if that answers your question or
0: it does. It, it does seem. And again, I'm just going to say this from a place of, of ignorance. I, I am not a woman, um, that as we talk about the workplace and there being some areas of with, with being a woman coming in the workplace, there are some areas where you feel a little compromised. it, it from a, you know, from a, from a perspective, a cultural with, with men that there would be more of an inclination to support each other as to be, uh, you know, adversaries in that. It doesn't seem to make sense. Why would that be?
1: You know, I wish I could answer you the why. I'd probably have the best-selling book in the world if I could answer that why, okay. but you know, we just kind of think from our experience it used to be because there often there was so much talk about the glass ceiling and uh-huh. only a certain number of women were going to rise. Well, if you kind of were the only one left standing, then maybe you'd be the one to rise. And I think that, um, fortunately a lot of women are trying now to help other women. So I think the tide is shifting in that regard, but I really, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know why that is or would be.
0: Well, the next Spot and I really want to give focus, uh, maybe, maybe primary focus here is your first chapter. I know Paula wrote it, um, but I know you did it all in collaboration. Was build your brand. And as I got into some of your content, it just seems really powerful when we, especially when we look at a you know, from Ziggler, we're often talking, Zig is always talking about your self image. And to me, you guys really hit the roots of it and talking about building your brand. Now, of course you're talking, you know, in somewhat of a career concept, but it's a, it's a, it's a, I would have anybody go read anybody, man or woman, but to have a woman go in there and understand that. So give us a little bit. I'm always curious again, why that was the start. I'm assuming because it is such a root issue.
1: Well, it is a root issue because with the title being, remember who you are, well, you have to define you. Who are you? Yeah. And so we just felt that that was where we needed to start the book. And I think most of us, probably most everyone listening, we're all familiar with corporate brands, but we find oftentimes people don't necessarily think intentionally about their personal brand. And it's, well, we, you know, you have a job and you want to support this or you're involved with this organization and this is their mission, i.e., you know, what is, what is their brand? It's their mission statement. Mm -hmm. And we just felt that it helps give you kind of a direction and it also helps to be intentional. You know, we talk in there about the Ernest Hemingway six word story and it's pretty challenging to, to narrow, at least it was for us to really start narrowing well, how do I describe myself in six words? But we've kind of taken it a step further in a workshop that we do occasionally. And what's your one word story. And that's when you really, you know, have to start focusing. If people meet me and I only have one word to describe myself, what would that be? And my word is connect. Paula's word is serve. And it's interesting because those two work quite well together but i love to connect people to others i love you know to that gets my juices flowing i love to connect them to being the better you that they can be um and so i think just figuring out what your brand is and we talk about this also and remember who you are if integrity is part of your brand and you get to a difficult situation and, you know, maybe you're in a corporate environment and the, your boss says, look, if we could kind of fudge just a little bit on the numbers, just this quarter, we'll catch it back up next month. Well, if your brand's integrity, your decision is made. Mm -hmm. So you aren't struggling necessarily so much as to, well, how do I tell my boss? I don't want to do that. So I think that it, It helps you figure out what you want to do. It helps you figure out, you know, do you want to stay at home? Do you want to, what do you want your neighbors to think of you as? And, you know, we're big on bringing your whole self into your brand. My brand shouldn't be different on this call with you than my brand is to my neighbor than my brand is to people that I work with. So your brand um, is you and I think that that is something that can be very freeing for women because I think in particular, we often have this, well, I'm going to be this at home and I'm going to be this when I'm not at home. But your brand um, needs to be your brand. doesn't matter where you are.
0: This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. So when you say that you're talking about, to me, the word that came to mind is being authentic and yet there's also the, how do you balance that? Being authentic with who you are and understanding who you are, being clear, having clarity on that and yet, uh, juggling the different arenas where you are in, where you need to modify a little bit, you, you know, the disc profile, I was brought up with, uh, the, that was, it was a lot of personality profiles, but that one, that's one and uh, high D. So as a kid, I was right away. I, you know, you came out high D, but if you're just a thoroughbred high D, you can often be a jerk. There is room, I think for, you know, modification, knowing and understanding that and juggling that authenticity, but being modifying according to where you're at. How do you do that and remain authentic?
1: Well, I think a lot of that goes back to emotional intelligence and reading the room Mm -hmm. and trying to see where you are, because, you know, it's kind of like when we were talking earlier about intensity is a really good quality to have and being tenacious is a really good quality to have if you want somebody to get something done. But when it crosses that kind of proverbial line of being intimidating Mm. or seen as aggressive, then it's probably not so much. And so I think you have to read. The audience that you are dealing with to to judge um, how much of yourself to to bring, if that mm. makes sense. You're still bringing you. I mean, if I'm if integrity is important to me, then that needs to carry with me wherever I go. If um, being intense is part of who I am, which it is, I'm fairly intense. You probably figured that out by now. Um, but I have to adjust if I read body language or see that the person that I'm meeting with, maybe they're not a high D. Maybe mm-hmm. we don't share that level of directness and high d together. Mm-hmm. I need to just be in tune and I can still be my authentic self. I just maybe back it up a notch for the comfort, and comfort level in the room. But I do think it's discernment. It's you know, wisdom in reading the, like I said, emotional intelligence, who you're dealing with, and the body language, and the things that um, that I think you learn over over time. But your core brand, I'm a connector, and it doesn't matter if I'm at work or I'm on the air talking with you or I'm out in my neighborhood. My brain is going to function in that regard. And then I certainly have hopefully other attributes. I just have to learn kind of what strength to bring them.
0: Yes. You connected me to that book. I already pulled it up while we're talking here. give yourself a break by Debbie Wilson. I'm going to buy that thing as soon as we get finished here. So thanks for that connection. Uh, I want to ask a little bit more though, about this. You talked, it's like when you do the workshops in essence, you're working with so many people on building your brand and you mentioned the word integrity. Would you throw out some more just so people can relate and kind of get a flavor as they want. Now I want them to get the book and go through it, but other words, integrity, what are some other top level words that generally come out that people want to aspire to in building their brand?
1: Um, I would say people like to be seen as thorough people like to, and that really ties into whether the word's thorough or completing a task. People like to be seen as responsible, Mm -hmm. reliable. I think, um, that a lot of people like to be seen as creative. And I think, um, compatible is a word that we often hear as well and passionate. Mm -hmm. And so it's, um, You know, we so often run into people that are doing what they do because they're doing it versus having really spent time figuring out their passion. And we talk a lot to people about what are you good at, what do you really like doing, and what can you make money at? And where that overlaps is your passion. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, is what are you passionate about? Because that really needs to feed into your brand.
0: Yeah. You asked the question in there and you said it in essence a minute ago. What do you want people to think of when they hear your name? To me, that's easy to nod to. The amount of people, including myself, who've ever written something down as an answer to that, it's got to be slim.
1: I think it's very slim based on feedback that we've had in the workshops we have done. But um, I think it is also it has proven to be a powerful exercise because when we do sit down to answer that question and put pen to paper, it causes reflection, which I would dare say not all of us take as much time doing every day as, as we might benefit from, but it causes us to also say, well, who am I and is this who I really want to be? Or would I really like to be the next level up from, from that? If people trust me, Do I really want them to see me as having integrity and that being, you know, a top value? Maybe I want them to trust me more. If people see me as, okay, well, she's sort of reliable. Well, what could I do for them to say, wow, you want the job done? Give her a call. And, you know, um, Kevin, I think that also applies. We haven't talked about it, but at the end of each chapter in Remember Who You Are is a letter to her younger self from A woman, what she wishes she had known maybe 20 or 30 years ago. And I think that really ties into kind of figuring out your brand too. If you sit down to write a letter to yourself as to what you wish you had known 20 years ago, it really causes a similar level of reflection. And when we set out to do that, we thought that, gee, we're really asking these people to do something that is going to require a lot of effort and thought, and maybe we're putting a burden on them and the thankfulness that we got in return, because how many busy people sit down to take the time to pen a letter like that? Mm -hmm. So I think it's the same thing with the brand is really, you know, it's a useful exercise and maybe you want to do it in a paragraph or a page. Uh, It's a lot easier than trying to condense it to six words, but, um, I think it is just a very helpful exercise. And, you know, it's something that we like. We were just on a college campus recently talking to young, you know, people. Um, there is, It's not too early to start thinking about what you want your brand to be because you can shape it and create it and let it drive who you are and what you do.
0: Well, I could talk for another hour on this, but I'm going to end on a piece because it really, to me ties back where I'm going to ask if you, if you feel like it ties back to your connectedness and it's the aspect of being self aware. I mean, that is, you know, when we go back to the classics, how to win friends and influence people, and we go to Zig's book, it's so much of it requires an aspect of self-awareness and so much of what we've talked about almost assumes that there is self-awareness and yet we see other people and we find out about ourselves so often that they're not self-aware. We're not self-aware. And I struggle with the ability for any of us to increase our self-awareness by ourselves, that we don't know what we don't know. It's the most dangerous thing out there. I don't know that we can do that without other people, which to me brings us back to what you started the book with is connectedness. Is that a fair way to look at, or how do you look at, how would you instruct someone to increase their self-awareness?
1: I agree with everything that you said. I think self-awareness is, is difficult because as you said, we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. I think asking, it's one thing, in the corporate world, when you do like the 360 feedback and you get your boss and the people that work as your peers and the people that work for you, and you get all that anonymous feedback, we encourage people to go to their trusted friends and ask for that, you know, whether it's one word or 10 words or five words, and see if you see a theme. You know, we're all going to get words from people that are just the one-off words, and we perhaps have to put them in a category as one-off. Maybe they don't apply, but if we start seeing a theme there like, well, she seems like she's intimidating or, man, she always seems to be high on herself or, man, she certainly seems to not have a very high level of confidence. That certainly is something we deal with a lot and have seen much more in women than in men. You know, if we start seeing those, then there is a pattern and then you can sit down and again, start saying, gee, I like this aspect of myself. How can I continue to work on that and make it even a stronger strength versus I was hoping I would not be seen that way. So what can I start doing? But, you know, that takes vulnerability. It takes having relationships with people who are willing to give you that level of feedback because, you know, know, as well as I do, it's easy, much easier to pay someone a compliment than it is to give them some hard, critical feedback because you got to care enough about them to give it to them because it hurts. Yeah, it hurts way the ways. But I think that's the way you get it is asking because how other people see you is your brand, whether you like it or not.
0: One last question here on this: as this book, you you and Paula put it out, uh, came out in March of this year, so it hasn't been out that long. As you've seen it go out, influence people, and you've gotten feedback, has there been anything that has? I'll, I'll let you answer it two ways or, or both ways. Feedback that surprised you uh, that, uh, something that people got out of it that you may not have been expecting as much and, and, or has there been feedback that it's just been a a grateful confirmation that that's what you were hoping people would get out of it?
1: Um, I'd say we have been surprised at the number of people internationally that have read it, that have sent us feedback Hmm. that, um, that more surprised like, wow how did they even get this book? But, or where did they, you know, hear of us or what made them get the book? Um, But I would say most all it has just been very rewarding to have people say, you know what? I got this and now I'm getting it for my daughters or I'm getting it for my wife or I'm getting this for my husband or, you know, we've had um, and maybe a bit of a surprise. We have had several men say, you know what? I'm getting this for my sons because Mm. it, is just very insightful and they need to read it too. But I think just having people say it's freeing to have kind of that level of authenticity to see that I'm not the only one, because I think that we can often get into a spiral sometimes and feel like, oh, well, we're the only one that didn't have something handed to us or we're the only one that had to work through this particular issue or tragedy or difficulty so i think a lot of it has been affirmation of wow um this is it because each chapter could have been a book in and of itself we were just trying to come up with something for today's busy woman to be able to sit down and read in a couple or three hours so i think just lots of affirmations for those stories well uh go ahead oh i was just gonna say and if people don't have time to read the book, reading the letters at the ends of the chapter, we certainly don't have all the answers, but the nine letters are powerful letters. These women were very transparent, very vulnerable, and um, women from all over the world, all different, you know, lives. And um, that has been very eye-opening of just using that as a challenge to really say, write a letter to yourself and maybe write a letter to your daughters.
0: Well, I can say I get a lot of books. I get about a book a day. And I really appreciate how you put it together. And yeah, that is one that stood out. Those letters there are powerful. I didn't think about that. Maybe a Cliff Notes version. Read the letters. Although if you do, folks, you're going to want to read the book. So uh, thank you guys for taking the time to pouring yourselves into giving this message. I will be taking my book home tonight to share with my wife. And uh, yeah, I want my daughters to read it as well. I can all do it, but we'll start with the girls because uh, I love what you have put in here and how you're leading in that way. Thank you so much for being with us, Lisa.
1: Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I enjoyed it.
0: Well, there you go, friends. Incredible perspectives and info from Lisa. Again, you can connect with her at haberjan.com. That's H-A-B-E-R-G-E-O-N. And you can buy the book, Remember Who You Are, uh, there at that website or again, wherever you buy books. I am passing my copy on to my wife to read right now. Did you get value from the show? If you did, will you please let Lisa know specifically and leave a review in iTunes for us at The Ziggler Show. It's just the best way to thank her and help others know what they can expect and get out of this show. So thank you in advance. Coming up next, show 608. we got a valuable and fun topic. Zig gives a short message telling us of how often people have told him Zig, hey, I was feeling down so low. Then I read your books or listened to your messages and I got back up again. And while that is great, of course, Zig asks us, he says, wouldn't it be better to be working to stay up and not get so low to begin with? He even makes that statement. It's easier to stay up than to get up. Well, from that message, I asked this question. What do you do consistently to strengthen and prepare yourself? One, physically, two, mentally, and three, emotionally, to be well and better withstand life's challenges. Then if you'd also state, number four, which area do you struggle most with? Well, we got a ton of responses on Facebook. Tom Ziegler and I talked through them. I think you'll be really interested to hear what all was shared. It got us both inspired, I'll tell you that. Inspired, I'll tell you that. Wait till then. Thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.